As uh, many of you know, before um, preaching once in a while, I like to bring before us something for us to be praying for uh, and to pray as a congregation. And so today I just want to pray uh, about this terrible tragedy that has happened in Buffalo this week. Uh, with a shooter, for those of you that haven't been on your news, a shooter um, came into the Topps grocery store in Buffalo, New York and killed 10 people. Um, a few others were wounded, I believe, as well. Um, it's pretty clear that it was a racially motivated um, effort. So I want to pray. I want us to just come before the Lord together. And Father, I just, um, we just take a moment, Lord, to let our hearts break for what breaks yours. Lord, we want to pray for all of those affected by this terrible shooting in Buffalo. The 10 who were wounded or killed, the others who were wounded, we pray for your holy presence in this situation, Lord. And God, we know that violence happens for many different and terrible reasons, but we especially grieve that by all accounts, it's fairly clear that this was a racially motivated crime by a white supremacist carried out against black people in a predominantly black neighborhood. And God, we weep over that, Lord. That is so wrong, it is so disturbing. And so God, we just stand here with our black brothers and sisters there and we just pray with them right now in the fear and the anger and the helplessness that they must feel, God, we stand with them. And Lord, we know this was an act of an extremist, Lord, but we realize also that the attitudes of racism and systemic racism that still exist in our country feeds this kind of extremism, Lord. So we grieve over that, God. We repent for that as this nation uh, and any of our part of that, Lord, God. We just commit ourselves to stand against it. We stand against evil and racism and violence in all of its forms, Lord. Use us, God. Make us your hands and feet to do what we can here in our world, Lord, to make a world where these things don't happen anymore. Make us instruments of your peace and shalom, Lord. So, God, we just pray for the families and the friends who have lost loved ones during this time, Lord, the, the church members, coworkers, neighbors. Lord, we just pray for the, the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit over them now, Lord. Would the communities come together, black and white, Lord, would they come together and just comfort one another? Lord, love each other, care for each other, Lord. I pray people be bringing meals, Lord, and, and just sitting with people and crying, and just there'd be so much love poured out, especially from your people, Lord. May, our, may, may the believers in that area just, just pour out love, Lord. Show the love of Jesus. Bring your presence and your peace into each home, we pray. We pray for justice, Lord, and we pray for hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we're continuing in our series today on taking care of our soul, having a healthy and resilient soul. And so I just want to tell you a little story about a couple named uh, Joe and, and Joanne, all right? And Joe and Joanne were married 15 years ago. They had a nice, simple little ceremony. They knew they were meant to be married, so they committed themselves to one another, their vows, said, I love you, um, and then went to their new home together. As they settled in, they settled into a pattern that was the same every day from then until now. They would get up in the morning, say good morning, they might have a little breakfast, and they would each go off to work. 
At work, they don't talk to each other. I mean, they've got things to do. They're busy with their work. They would come home at the end of the day. Maybe they would work together to make the dinner. Maybe not. If there's a problem, they would help each other out, fixing something in the house or carrying something upstairs. But that was about it. Maybe a little conversation over dinner. Maybe not. And then at the end of the day, they put on their pajamas, get on each side of their king-size bed, and go to sleep. How'd you like to be in that marriage? I mean, it could be worse, right? I mean, there was no abuse there. There was nobody cheating on one another. But that's not a really fun marriage. That's a little dry. That's a little practical. Um, it's a little transactional. I mean, they were there for each other if they needed each other. But at the end of 15 years, they don't know each other any better than they did at the beginning of the 15 years. There's no passion. There's no intimacy. There's no laughter, probably not even any tears. It's just dry. It's like unflavored yogurt. I don't know. You know unflavored yogurt? You're like, why? Why? If you put enough granola and fruit and stuff in it, it's okay, but... I wonder how many of us fall into this kind of relationship with God. You know, if you're a Jesus follower, at some point you had a moment, right, where you knew this was true, this was real, and you gave your heart to Jesus in whatever way you asked for forgiveness of your sins. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, that was a very emotional moment, very powerful. Others, it was just kind of matter of fact. You just knew it was right, and you walked into it, whatever. But the question is not so much about what that moment was like, but what's it been like since then? What's that walk been like? I mean, is it a quick hello in the morning and then off to work and then at the, you know, when you need something, you ask for some help, but then you go to bed at night. You know, what is our walk with God, might I ask, a little bit like unflavored yogurt, a little dry, a little um, uninteresting. There's got to be something more. I think God has something more for us in our relationship with God. I remember as a college student going to a charismatic church for the first time. I had been already a Christian for a couple of years. And so I, um, you know, loved God. I believed in him. I read the Bible. I liked Bible study. I loved this group. But I have to tell you, I had no idea what the heck was going on with this group, okay? Especially when they were worshiping. Because they worshiped. This was a very vineyard-like. It wasn't vineyard, but it was a very vineyard-like kind of place. And I would particularly watch this one girl, she, I think she was a senior, and she, I think her name was Lisa, and she used to worship like she was in love with Jesus. Like she had her hands up, and she'd just be singing, and there'd be a smile, and I was like, what in the heck is she drinking? Like, how do I get some of that? Like, what is that all about? I just didn't get it. I knew that I didn't feel that way about Jesus. I knew I didn't feel that way about him. And you know, what's funny is that it wasn't even so much, it was a little bit about the charismatic part and the raising the hands, I wasn't used to that, but it wasn't totally that. What was totally unnerving to me was, was the, and, and, and foreign too, like completely foreign, was her delight in Jesus. That just pure delight in being in his presence. And I've seen it before in other people um, with, who are very different. I have another friend who we, I met much later who was a very devout Catholic. And he couldn't have been more different from Lisa. You would not catch him raising his hands in a, in a church service. Like he was very traditional, loved the liturgy of the Catholic Mass. But when he would talk about the Catholic Mass and going to Mass and, and taking the elements and, 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 and saying the prayers, the rote prayers, his face, there would be a motion that would rise up in his voice and in his face he would just smile and be like, I love meeting Jesus in the Mass. There was so much delight there. 
I was like, what is that? What is that? Delighting in Jesus. We're looking at how to have a healthy and resilient soul. And I got to tell you that when I hear people talk about soul care and spiritual formation, very rarely do I hear them talk about delight, about the power of delighting in God in our lives. But let's go back to the marriage picture that I told you about. If you're in that marriage, that boring, lifeless marriage, and something much more interesting comes along, you're probably going to jump at it because there's not much there to hold on to. It has very little staying power. And I think sometimes we make Christianity to be kind of a boring, killjoy kind of thing. Stop partying, stop cursing, and sit still in church. Like, that's kind of like the message, right? There's so much more, church, for us in Jesus. And I think we need, in our faith, we need the strength that comes from delighting in Jesus, from enjoying him so much. Reminds me a lot of a story of when I was a little girl and I was learning to play the piano, okay? I started piano lessons in third grade, and I took to it like a fish in water, okay? I loved it. It made complete sense to me. I, I, it felt to me like math and a jigsaw puzzle put together because it was like, you know, like the, the, the notes and the thing, and I'm like getting my fingers to do it and just get, and executing what was on the page. Like it was awesome, and I loved it. And I was pretty good, you know, I, could, I picked it up fast. And so I can remember this. I was probably in maybe sixth or seventh grade by this time. I was playing some hard stuff. I was playing some classical, all, it was all classical training at that point. I was playing some hard stuff, and I just will never forget sitting in my lesson with my teacher, dear Miss Roger. And she, I played this piece for her, just nailed it, right? Just perfect, no, no mistakes. And she looked at me, and she goes, you know, that was really good, Beth. Can you put some emotion into it, some passion? And I got to tell you, I looked at her like she had two heads. It's like, emotion? In music? <laughs> like, a half note is two beats, and a quarter note is one beat, and there's an A, and there's a B, and there's a C. Like, what's, what's emotional about that? Like, it's just, you just play it. And you're laughing, especially any of you who are musicians, because she said something that most musicians know intuitively, actually, is that what sets a musician apart from someone who's just executing notes on a page is putting the passion into it, right? It's putting their heart into it. It's expressing the emotion that maybe the, the composer felt as they were writing it, but you add your own life and, and emotion to it. You put your heart into it. And that's what makes music. That's what moves us. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I cannot emphasize how foreign this was to my little practical 12-year-old brain. Um, and believe it or not, you'll, you'll love this. She had to kind of train me in this. You'll think I'm like an emotionally stunted child, but I, maybe I was. But she, she said, okay, so how does this song sound to you? And I'd say, well, it sounds kind of happy. And then, <laughs> and then she'd say, okay, so when have you felt happy? Like, have you felt happy? Yeah. Now, can you put some of that feeling into the playing? Okay. Like, literally, this is how we did it. Okay. I don't know what was wrong with me, honestly. <laughs> but finally, something clicked. And it was like, you know, when you, everyone tells you you'll know when you're in love, you know, and you don't know what it feels like until you're actually in love and you go, oh, now I get it. Well, that was how it was with this. It was suddenly like, oh. And suddenly I was able to play and feel my heart playing through my fingers and, and expressing what the music brought out of me and also what was in me. And, and, and suddenly it made sense and I was able to put passion and, and emotion into the music. And I'll tell you, I never played anything the same since changed everything, changed everything. And so in the simplest and most basic of ways, I'm challenging us this morning. I hope inspiring you this morning to put a little emotion into it. 
Put a little passion into your walk with Jesus because that's where the strength of our souls is going to come from. It's going to become from that emotion and that love for Jesus. Now, I already know there's a few of you out there who are like, that's fine for all you emotional people, but I'm not an emotional person. I'm practical and I'm logical and, uh, you know, I don't do that stuff. You know, I don't, you don't see me falling apart crying. You know, that's not the way I do things. And I want to tell you, <laughs> there are some, there is always some. But let me just say this about that. Being emotional is not the same as having emotion. Okay, some of us are very emotional, and you know it. We have to carry tissues around with us all the time because we cry all the time. Some of you are not emotional. That's okay. That's how God's wired you to be more steady, to be less up and down with the emotions. It does not mean, however, that you don't have emotions. Of course you have emotions. You reflect the image of God, and God has all kinds of emotions. You can be calm, but you also have deep feelings about things, even you quiet, unemotional types. You have deep feelings, deep thoughts about things. In fact, I find sometimes the less over, overtly emotional someone is, the deeper the waters run. <laughs> Those quiet types that um, insist they're not emotional, but the emotions are there. So it is not about falling apart with emotion. That's what I love about the vineyard and worship. It's not about hype. It's not about you know, jumping up and down always and having, you know, tears and shouting. It's not always about that. There's that in there, but it's not always about that. It's about meeting God. It's about that intimacy with him. And I would just say to you this morning that there's a reason that the scriptures say the joy of the Lord is your strength, that there's strength in your soul when you can find that joy in Jesus. There's joy and delight. It's going to be the strength of your faith. It's going to be the spark that keeps it going. Just like when they say, tell you in marriage counseling, if you're having trouble, they say to you, you know, figure out what, what, what did you fall in love about, with this, about this person to begin with? Like, what was it at the beginning that got you excited about them, right? Remember that. In Revelation, it says, remember your first love. Rekindle that. And we're going to have weak and anemic souls if we don't have any delight in God. So I, I just, I want to inspire us to delight. How do we do this? How do we get some joy and delight into our walk with God? And I'm going to just talk about two things. One is through worship. We're going to talk a little bit about worship. And the other is about, is about keeping secrets. And so I'm going to get to that in a minute, make you curious about what I mean by that. But the first one is about worship. We, I talked about the vineyard. The vineyard is known for intimacy and worship. That is what uh, sort of marked this movement from the beginning, and it is part of every vineyard church that's functioning as a vineyard church, is that we are seeking intimacy and worship. Not hype, not over-emotionalism, but, but seeking that closeness to God. It's, it's not a performance. And I wonder for us, for some of us, if worship has become kind of a dry and predictable thing. We know there's three songs, and then there's a few prayers, and then we can sit down, and finally there's a sermon. I wonder for how many of us that might be the case. Or we sing, but our minds are not fully here. Remember checking our phones, wondering how the kids are doing. I know it's a distraction when you have babies in worship. God bless. <laughs> you can do it, but they will get older too. They'll get easier. But, you know, we get distracted in worship. Um, and then sometimes we're like, you know, why, why is he repeating the chorus three times? Like, why weren't we done with that one already? Or why is the lyrics not working? And why did the projector not work all last week? Like, what's that? Like, this is what we're, we're thinking about in worship, right? And let me just say this in the nicest way possible. If we're bored with our worship, I'm guessing God's bored with it too. 
not that he doesn't appreciate the effort, but, um, you know, what's the point of that, right? What's the point of that? We need to go beyond that. And like my teacher said, get a little, get a little joy in our worship. And so here's a few ways to do it. The first is through realizing the love of God. Worship always starts with the love of God for you. He loves you. Do you ever think about that? Does that kind of in your minds a lot during the day? When you're frustrated at work, do you realize and remember Jesus loves me so much? When you come in here on the Sunday morning, do you realize, oh, Jesus loves me and he's really glad I'm here to worship? Do you remember that? Is that something that kind of resonates in your soul because that's going to be the fruit or that's going to bear the fruit of joy in your life if you really know and that, that you know that you know that you know that you know that God loves you. He's crazy about you. He loves all your little weird habits. He loves all your strange personality quirks. He likes that you're a morning person or a night person. He likes the way you look, whether you're fat or skinny or something in between. He loves you exactly the way you are, and he died for you. That's how he showed it. He died for you and for me so we could have this intimacy with him that would then bring us joy. I came that they might have what? Joy. It's not meant to be dry and boring. There's meant to be joy in it. And so listen to what Jesus says about what God says about you in Jeremiah 31. It says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt, and again you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance with the joyful. Do you see how the dancing and the timbrels and the, all the worship came out of the love? The everlasting love that he has for us, that's what it comes out of, and it results in just wanting to just worship him. Isaiah 49, 15 to 16 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child as she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Have you ever thought about that? That he's got you on his hands. You ever write something on your hands and you just see it all day long? Like, I got to get that off. He sees you all day long. All day long, all night long, he's watching over you in your bed. He loves you. He loves you. And he's calling you to himself. He's inviting you and me to his presence. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. There's that delight. He wants you to live a life of delight. Delight in him and he's calling us to himself. There's something thirst quenching and delightful about the love of God. So this is how we start. This is how we begin to become worshipers of God as we recognize how much he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. But then worship flourishes as we receive that love and then, sort of miraculously, we turn our focus to God. We begin to worship him. We begin to worship him, we turn it away from ourselves. Worship is, comes from words worthship. It's, it's ascribing worth to God. It's because he's there that we worship. It's not just because of what he's done for us, because of who he is. He is awesome and worthy of our praise. And so that's why we worship him. I love this little quote and this word from a 17th century French monk, Jean-Pierre de Cassaud, and he talks about this word self-forgetfulness when it comes to Jesus. Can we be self-forgetful, not meaning that we don't take care of ourselves, 
but just in the moment with God to be self-forgetful. I love, he says there, in continual self-forgetfulness to be forever occupied in loving and obeying him, untroubled by all the doubts and perplexities, reverses and anxieties which attend the hope of his salvation. This is from his book, The Sacrament of the Present Moment. Think about what your worship could be like, even here at Gate City Vineyard, if for the 20 minutes we're here worshiping, you could just forget about yourself. Just forget about yourself. Just stop worrying about what's on the phone and how your feet hurt or if you're hungry or what. If we could just stop thinking about ourselves and just turn our face to Jesus. Just, just turn our attention to him and who he is. To lose ourselves in the moment with God. You know, people talk about flow, right? When you're doing something that takes a lot of and concentration and you get in flow, whether it's at work or p- playing music or whatever, you get in flow and what happens is you're so engrossed in what you're doing that time flies by and you don't know it's gone. We can be in flow in worship. We can just be so focused on worshiping him that we don't know if there's been two songs or ten songs go by. It doesn't matter because we're just in his presence and we're just loving him and, and praising him. That's, that's turning our focus to God. And then what automatically pours out of that, once we have recognized his love for us and we've turned our attention to us, that what, what births out of that is awe. Awe of who God is, just his greatness, who he is. We realize that he is the one that we praise, that, that no matter what he's done for us, he's still worthy of praise. And that's why we start to get the words of the biblical writers in our mouths and we speak them out and oh, they are so true. We say things like this from Exodus 15. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Psalm 86, 8 to 10, among the gods there's none like you, Lord. Oh, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. That's when worship begins when it ceases to even be about us at all and what he's done for us. It's wonderful to praise him for all the things he's done for us. He has saved us. He's healed us. He's renewed us. He's done so many wonderful things for us. We should praise him for that. But at the end of the day, we, if he did none of those things, he's still worthy of praise. Amen, church? He's still worthy and he's seated on the throne. He is mighty and glorious in splendor. There's no one like him. He spoke and the world came into being. There's no one like our God. No one like our God. This is worship. This is awe. And this starts to create delight. When, when we just think about it, it just makes me happy. I don't know about you, but it gets my heart full of delight. And when we have that kind of attitude, it's different than when we come to church, isn't it? Remember I told you a couple weeks ago about a guy whose church, the people were running in from the parking lot to get into worship because they didn't want to miss a minute of it. I still want to see more running. I don't know. I haven't seen any running, but. But I want us to come into this place, and when we hear that first guitar strum, or we hear that music just as the chords start to play, I want us to be just like, yes, here we go. We're worshiping. I mean, here we go. Let's just forget about everything else. We're blessed 20 minutes. I mean, a blessed 20 minutes, man. When do we get that? Maybe a little more, a little less. 
but a blessed time to just forget ourselves in God. And then, and then once we start doing that, it, the Bible says that he starts singing over you too. So it's really a duet. And that we're together, we're just enjoying each other. And there could be 100 people in the room or just two, but you're in his presence and he's pouring his love over you and you're pouring your praise up to him. And oh man, that's delight, people. That's delight. That's delight. And let me just say this for the benefit of our incredible team up here. All of this can happen whether they're playing traditional hymns or contemporary praise songs or bluegrass or jazz or gospel or white contemporary praise music or whatever it is we play. That doesn't matter because God is awesome in this place, see? It's not about whether, you know, Charles or Dottie sound great that day or they both got a sore throat and they're a little croaky. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the band is big and tight or if it's just one instrument and it's just sort of ordinary. It doesn't matter because it's not about, it's not a performance. See, it's not about how good they did. Oh, worship was great because the band was awesome. That's not what worship's about. Yeah. Now, thank, thank you to this team who puts in a lot of time and effort to do an excellent offering, to bring an excellent offering. It takes a lot of work, I know. And it brings an excellent offering so that we are enabled and helped to get into the presence of God. So we're not distracted by wrong notes and, and bad timing, whatever, that we can get into the word of God and get into his presence. But that's not what the, what the worship's about. It's not about the performance on the stage. It's not because the band is awesome. It's because God is awesome in this place. Amen? Can you say it? God is awesome in this place. He is awesome in this place. He is the one who we worshiped. He's the one who we worship. How great is our God? How great is our God? How great is our God? So let's nurture delight in our worship. All right, let's nurture it. Let's nurture it. It's going to bring a strength to our soul that nothing else will. But I promised you there's one other way to nurture this delight in our lives, and it's by keeping secrets. What did I mean by that? What I mean is that every one of us has a secret place. There's a secret place inside of us that no one else gets to see. And it's a secret place with God. And that can bring us so much joy if we find that secret place with God. Let me give you an example um, of a secret place. Between Paul and I, we've been married uh, a lot of years, a few decades. And so between us, we have many, many, maybe, maybe hundreds of private jokes little stories, little things that can happen. Somebody could say something, we'll look at each other across the room, we'll sort of smirk because we know we're thinking the same thing, right? Because we've had the same experience. This happened just the other day. Um, we came home together and Biscuit, our little dog, came running out the door to see us and barking and all excited. And so I, just being silly, and put on like a cute little high pitched doggy voice and said, hi, Paul, hi, Beth, like that. Uh, speaking for the dog, you know. I said, hi, Paul. Hi, Beth. And then immediately Paul started singing, little, little Lauren, cute as a button, won't you come and play with me? And we both started cracking up. Now you're all like, what? What is that all about? Like, what does that have to do with anything? We were both just transported back to our first apartment together when we first got married. It was in North White Plains, New York. And we had this little apartment, and across the street was a little tiny girl. She's probably four or five years old, and her name was Lauren. And every single time she would walk out of the, the door and see us, she'd go, hi, Paul, hi, Beth. <laughs> and so he and I would look at each other, and we'd say, she is cute as a button, isn't she? 
And then, you know, gradually we started right, singing a song about her, quick, cute as a button, won't you come play? Anyway, so it was just a private moment between the two of us, right? And so we're laughing because it just brought it all back. And then Paul ruined the moment because he said, you know, Lauren is probably 40 years old right now. <laughs> Not ruined everything, but anyway. <laughs> little, little Lauren. But, but why am I telling you this? It's because you know, if you've had a relationship with anyone, a family member, a spouse, a friend, for more than a few decades, you know that there's a secret place between the two of you that, never, that no one else shares, things that you, no one else knows, and, and you can both laugh about it, and, and no one else can go to that place but you because it's just it's something only the two of you know about. That's Intimacy. That's delight. It's so comfortable and wonderful to fall into those moments of laughter over something shared like that. And this is important. This is why it's important for us to have a secret place with God. He wants to share those secret moments with you. If Colossians 3.3 says this, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. I've thought a lot about that. And there's a lot of different meanings for that word hidden here. But for me, I keep coming back to that there's a hidden part of my life that's only with Jesus. It's only with God. Do you go there with him? Do you go to that secret place with him? Talk to him about what you're excited about. Talk to him about what you're mad about. He's right there with you, waking up with you in the morning, going to sleep with you at night. Psalmist puts it in this passionate, vibrant language. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? See, when we have this secret place with God, it creates a longing in us to be with him. We just can't wait to tell him about what's happening. Just like I can't wait to tell Paul when something fun happens, I can't wait to tell Jesus when something good happens or when my heart is hurting. He's there. He's there for us. And I, I get the impression that, you know, a lot of us have our spiritual life in crowds. <laughs> you know, it's like in church, 50, 100 people, whatever. We, we have church. We have maybe a quiet time if we're lucky at home, but maybe kids are running around, and then we put on music in the worship music in the car. So, but it's still like there's no, like, just stopping and being quiet and being in that secret place with God. And, you know, I talked about this just a few weeks ago. It's so important for our souls to get that so silence and solitude and Sabbath with God, right, to come away. It's good for our souls. It brings rest. It disconnects us from all that texting and Instagram and all that stuff that we're doing. It just disconnects us from that and puts us with him. But it's not just to quiet our souls, but it's to nurture that little secret place with God, so that, that, that fun place, that place where we can talk with him about anything, Look, we all have secret thoughts. We all have desires. We all have fears. We all have things we say to ourselves. I know you all talk to yourself when you're alone. I know you do. <laughs> we all do, right? As soon as the house is empty. Like, how many times do you get the house alone? But then you find, like, all right, now here we go. And you start talking to yourself. This is a place that God knows about. And here's what a question I want to ask us this morning for us to think about. Are we spending our time keeping God out of the most secret places? Are we running away from sharing with him all those deep things because 
well, I'm ashamed of this thought, or I'm, uh, he's not going to like this about me, or I'm guilty about this, or, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't dare talk to him about this, because what if he asked me to do that, and, and, and all of this stuff, we, we, we keep God out of this secret place, and here's what's crazy about that, do you know that he's already there? <laughs> he's already in the secret place, he's already there, he already knows all your thoughts, he already knows all your fears. He already knows all your anxieties. He already knows what you don't want him to call you to and what you do want him to call you to. He knows all of that. So what are we keeping him out of it for? Why not bring him into it all and say, God, let's, what are we going to do with all this? What are we going to do with all this? He already knows about it. It's a little bit like your, your kids when they're little and they think they're being really smart and they hide something under their pillow because they think you're not going to find it. But, of course, you make their bed every day. <laughs> so you know it's there, but you just slip it back under there. You don't say anything, you know, because they, they think they're hiding. It's, that's how it is. We think, I'm not going to let God talk to me about that thing. He's already there. He's already there. He wants to talk to you, and he wants to be in that secret place and share all of that with you, struggle through it all with you. And you know what? We're missing out on one of the greatest joys and strengths of our Christian life if we don't nurture and cultivate that secret place with God, just talking with him. So how do we do this? How do we grow that secret place? We can learn a lot from the psalmist. The psalmist um, had clearly had very, David, but also the other psalmist, very intimate uh, relationship with the Lord. And I just want to give you a couple tips from, that I see from the psalms here. The first is that the intimacy grows when we just talk to God a lot. You have to talk a lot to God to get intimate with God, just like a, a human relationship. If you don't talk very much, you're not going to get very intimate. Same with God. And you know, the psalmists are really wordy. They talk a lot. I was looking at um, this Psalm 40 from David, and in this one psalm, David complains, praises, cries, accuses, ponders, all in this one psalm. All right? I don't have it up here on the screen, but I'll just give you like snippets. At the beginning of the psalm, he goes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, so like he's testifying. And then he skips ahead and he goes, many, many, Lord, are the wonders you've done, the things you plan. None can compare with you. So he's like praising. And then he goes on, do not hold, withhold your mercy from me, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. So he's starting to complain now, right, <clears throat> and, and cry out, be pleased to save me, Lord. And then he goes on this. He says, may all who want to take my life be put to shame. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, be appalled at their own shame. So he's ranting now, right? He's ranting before God. And then he comes back and he goes, but Lord, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May they long for you. The Lord is great. He comes back. That's just in one psalm. <laughs> See, there's, we, we got to talk to God a lot. We got to just tell him everything. All the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's get in the habit of talking to Jesus a lot about everything. I had a friend who for many years was very, very sad about being single. She had really wanted to be married, and, and it was really a, a kind of heartache in her life. And, um, but she loved the Lord. And she, at one point, God just gave her something that kind of just set her free. And she said she just realized that when she would lay in bed at night, alone in her bed, she would just imagine that Jesus was lying on the other side with the other pillow, his head on the other pillow. And she'd just talk to him just like she would if he were a husband there, and she'd talk to him about her day and her happy things and sad things, and she'd sometimes laugh and sometimes cry, and sometimes even as she goes to bed, she'd imagine him just holding her as she went to bed. And for her, it set her free because she remembered that Jesus is there all the time. He wants to be your best friend in the, in the most intimate moments. It, it's how he spoke to her in her particular pain and her particular heartache. God wants to do this for all of us. He's with all of us. 
The second thing that happens with intimacy is when we let our guard down. If we let our guard down, we're going to grow intimacy with God. And it's kind of related to what I just said, but that we don't have to pretend. We don't have to, um, you know, pretend we got it more together than we do. I hope that all of us have people with whom we can let our hair down and be kind of ourselves. But even if you have no people, there's God, and God always is there for us no matter what. There's no way we need to feel shame or anxiety or guilt over anything that we can talk to God about. He knows it already. He loves you. And I use this um, passage from, from David, Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You see the intimacy there. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. He's not holding anything back. You, got, you know it all, God. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. See, it's wonderful to be known like that by God. It's, maybe it's scary at first, but it's wonderful. It's a secret place of honesty and intimacy with God. The last thing that I'd like to say about intimacy and how to grow that kind of secret place with God is by laughing with God. We see this in the Psalms as well. Psalm 126, the Psalms of Ascent, it says, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. See, when we realize God's done amazing things and when we've been talking to him about it, especially when we're talking about how hope wouldn't work or we didn't know if it would work out and that it does work out and we talk to God about it, like laughter comes. We laughed when Charles told his story about how everything just came together for this trip to Alaska because it's amazing what God does, isn't it? And we can just laugh with him about it and he does big things and he does little things and he's so good and he cares about all the little details. And I love, I, I frequently laugh with God about the way he bails me out of my stupidity. <laughs> Um, the way he just takes care of me and my ignorance and certain things, the way he, he just gives me what my friend used to call a little kiss from God. Yeah. One of them for me was out here, and I was able to be your pastor, and I was, of course, so thankful about that for many, many big, important reasons. But one little thing that happened was I was in here just a few days into my time here, and I started looking around, and I was like, the chairs are purple. Now, I love purple, okay? Purple's like my favorite color. Purple was in my wedding, and it's, it's, I love purple. And it was like God was like, here you go. You even got purple chairs. <laughs> and I just started laughing right here in the sanctuary. I was like, yes, Lord, you're so good to just take care of purple chairs for me. We're never getting rid of these chairs, just FYI, okay? Never. <laughs> but this is the sweetness and the power of a secret place with God. Okay? Something you can carry around with you all the time. I want to urge you this morning, find your secret place with God. Maybe for you it's when you go for a walk. Maybe it's when you're just quiet in your bed at night. Maybe it's at work in the middle of the day. Maybe it's all of the above. In fact, that's what it is, right? It's a place you can keep going back to. It, it's never apart from you because he's right here all the time. He's ready to talk with you. And it's, this, it's for this reason that somebody like Corey Tenboom could be in the, in the midst of the horrors of a Nazi prison camp. And what did she say? She said, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. How could she say that in the midst of what she was going through? She could say it because she had that secret place with God, that they could strip everything away, and they literally stripped everything away, and yet she still had that secret place, that beautiful place with him. That's amazing. That's the strength 
of a secret place with God. That's a, that's a resilient faith, a strong faith, finding your delight in him. And so this is the invitation for us today, church. This is the invitation for you, first of all, to find that secret place with him, to realize that he's there, that he's the best friend you'll ever have. He's the best friend. It's a place of joy and of laughter and tears and healing and delight. He's right here, right now with you. And also forgetting ourselves in worship and delighting in God's presence. He is big and he is glorious and he is worthy of our praise. And that we can just for a few moments forget ourselves and just focus on him and his greatness. I don't know if you noticed, but I, uh, the opening set of worship was a little short this morning because I wanted us to do a little more at the end today just as a response to worship him. So it's a little bit early, um, and we're just going to spend some more time worship. I, and I, and I want to encourage you, maybe as never before, forget yourself in worship. Forget the time. The kids are fine. We're not going to make them crazy in the children's ministry area. There's going to be three songs, and then we will stop, so this is not going to go on forever. <laughs> so you can just... Know that and just relax and get into Jesus' presence to begin to worship him, to, to, to be in awe of him, to glorify his name, to just delight in him. Like my friend Lisa, just turning her face up and just delighting in him. That's our opportunity today. So I'm going to ask you actually if you would stand, but, but, I, but we're going to start with standing. But I want to encourage you that worship him with your bodies too. Feel free to sit. Feel free to come up and kneel. Feel free to go in the back and dance if you want. But this is a time for us to enter in his presence. I'm going to also ask at least one prayer team to just come up so that if someone would like prayer during this time, um, that we'll have a prayer team up as well. But Lord God, we just want to invite you into this place. Lord, we're so um, encouraged, God, that we can have delight in you, Lord, that our, our relationship with you doesn't need to be dry and boring, Lord, but it can be filled with delight. And so this morning, we just turn our eyes to you, Lord. We just look up to you, Lord, and we, we just want to enter into these songs and praise you. God, I thank you this morning that you love us with an everlasting love. And Lord, that, that we can just receive it. We just get to receive it, Lord. The more we seek you, Lord, the more we come to you, Lord, the more you're there and pouring your love upon us. So we just take a moment, Lord, to just dwell in your presence now, just to love you, Lord. We're going to find that secret place with you, Lord, that only you and I know.